Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you, my friend? How are you, my friend? Welcome. This is the Breakfast with Champions podcast, one of the most unique, amazing, and powerful podcasts you'll ever come across in your entire life. Listen, we bring you motivation, education, and inspiration, and ultimately give you an opportunity to get a seat at the table, to hang out with some of those that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. What makes this podcast so unique and incredible is we have over a hundred different thought leaders that are constantly delivering amazing, over-the-top, powerful, and impactful content in bite-sized nuggets that you can absorb, take action on, and implement in your life. So with that said, make sure you filter through. There's going to be some of these thought leaders, these experts in their industries that you're ultimately gonna connect with. You're gonna totally, totally resonate. It's gonna totally be your vibe. And then there's gonna be other ones that you're gonna be like, eh, you know what? I like them, but I don't know if I love them. And that's what's great about Breakfast with Champions is we have something for everyone. So make sure you sift through, find the ones that you love, and know that they'll be coming back every single week to be able to deliver to you the motivation and education and inspiration that you need. With that said, my name is Glenn Lundy. I am your host. Super excited to connect with you. And let's kick off today's episode of Breakfast with Champions. You're now tuning in to the Who You Know and Dr. Rowe Show segment. Good morning, Dr. Rowe. Who do you know today? Good morning, my favorite co-host, Trevor Houston. I am so <laughs> good morning. How are you feeling, first of all? Oh, I'm so good. I just uh I got I went camping this weekend. You know, I got out of I got out of Dodge and, and got with nature. It was awesome. Awesome. That's what we like to hear. You always have to not just have motivation, education, and inspiration, but relaxation, correct? Mm. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Thank you so much, uh, Trevor. I am so honored today to have an amazing leader on our stage. She is not only a lovely, and I call her a corporate guru, but she says, hey, I am an entrepreneur. She is. She's done so much in her life. It's like we can sit here and write 10 books on everything that she's done. But what I remember her for many years ago is being able to bring her pound cakes into McDonald's. Y'all know I love pound cakes because I'm from Florida. It's a great thing. She's also a Harvard MBA graduate. She is on the board of Cheryl Sandberg's from Facebook's um, Lean In organization. She has worked for many corporations, but took that skill set and turned it over into entrepreneurship. She's also the sister of the lovely Gloria Mayfield Banks. They are both the only African-American sisters biologically who has graduated from Harvard. And it's just amazing. I'm just so excited to have with us Amy Hilliard. Please let's give her a warm Breakfast with Championship welcome. Whoop, whoop. Let's whoop, go. Whoop, whoop. Can't wait. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome. How are you? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for that wonderful, wonderful introduction. I am thrilled to be here. I am just thrilled to be here. Thank you, Dr. Rowe, for the invitation. Hello, Trevor. Thank you so much. It's a great honor to meet you and to be here with you both. Good morning, Amy. I'm yes. so glad you're here with us. And I'm telling you, I was reading your bio and all your stuff, and I'm like, dang, this is a lady who's done it all. You you really have, like, you know, wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, it's 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 good to uh, to be with all of you. It's you know, I started all this stuff when I was just a babe. That's you know, I've done so much. I'm I'm just. Um, glad to be here but you know it's about doing what you love trying new things never giving up and keeping it moving yes absolutely so can you share with our audience just a little bit about your journey from humble beginnings to harvard university 
Well, sure. You know, I'm from Detroit, Michigan. And, you know, when I grew up there and I tell people, you know, I grew up in Detroit and sometimes people go, oh, that's really too bad. I feel sorry for you. And I'm like, are you kidding? When I grew up in Detroit, things were humping. The car um, companies were just grinding out those cars. We lived for within walking distance of Motown. Seriously, I could walk to the Hitsville, USA uh, offices. And I often did because I had a part-time job at a library that was nearby. My mother took us to a, a beauty salon that was nearby. So I could walk down by Hitsville and I would see the Temptations hanging out, the Supremes, the Miracles hanging out in those Cadillacs. And I saw Barry Gordy build that company. It was amazing. And I could also walk by uh, Reverend C.L. Franklin's house. You know, this is the big house he built after, um, you know, Aretha made it. So I could see entrepreneurs all the time. And it was an amazing um, area. And it was an amazing time to grow up in Detroit. So I saw entrepreneurship all the time. And as a young girl, I, um, I guess I had entrepreneurship in my DNA because my mother had a rose, uh, couple of rose bushes in our backyard, and I would pick those petals off, soak them in water, and buy little vials from the Five and Dime store, and I would sell perfume to my mother's friends, and for a dime. So I was making my little money, and then I had babysitting um, on lock in the neighborhood. I would actually cut up five by seven index cards and I would write on them if you need a babysitter I'm your girl and so I had babysitting on lock for the weekends I always had my own little money and so I grew up with thinking about entrepreneurship in the city of Detroit and so I thought that yes I can do these things because I saw other people do these things so when I started thinking about what I wanted to do um, I also had the opportunity to uh, do some novel things like integrate my junior high school. My parents were very much about education. I'm one of four girls, and you all have known my sister, Gloria. Um, and so my parents were very much about education, about community, about faith. And so those were values that we grew up in. And when it came time to go to junior high school, my, my parents wanted to make sure I had the best opportunity to um, get a good education. So they bust us out to a junior high school in a junior in a Jewish neighborhood. And so that was the opportunity to, again, go to good education, but it wasn't easy. I was the only black in uh, my class, and um, that was a challenge to get called on and not ignored, and sometimes I got ignored. But I was able to really get along with the classmates, ended up being voted the vice president of the graduating junior class. So those um, ideals and those challenges I was able to overcome. I was also able in my English class to be introduced to advertising. Lida Epstein was my teacher. She was the most fabulous looking woman. And she said, write a project of what you want to do with your life. And I wrote a project about being in advertising because I liked commercials. And she said, Amy, this is a really good project. You'll do well. And I still have her notes from junior high school. So I was able to see a vision beyond where I lived. And I carried that with me. When I got to high school, I was able to um, go to Cass Technical High School, which was the uh, magnet school in Detroit. And it was a tough school to get into, but I got into it, majored in performing arts. So I was, you know, in, in um, the creative end of things. I was in plays and, and wanted to be an actress at one point. But then I said, no, I don't want to live in a cold water flat in New York. But I loved the speaking part of it. My speech teacher was great, Mrs. Burgess. And she taught me how to speak well. And I was able to get a scholarship to Michigan State University. But I wanted to go to Howard. A lot of my relatives went to Howard. My parents said, well, <laughs> unless you get a scholarship to Howard, you're going to Michigan State because you have a scholarship. So I 
was despondent one day in class and Mrs. Burgess said, what's going on? And I said, well, I want to go to Howard, but I have a scholarship to state. She said, let me work on it. Mrs. Burgess found me a debate team scholarship to Howard. I don't know how many of you all remember the de great debaters with Denzel Washington, that movie. Do you yes, remember that movie? I absolutely that, do. Mm -hmm. That was me on a bus going from school to school in the Southeast and the Northeast debating other teams. And that's how I got to Howard University. And so it opened my eyes to the world, to be at Howard University, to be in an environment where the cloak of discrimination was not on my shoulders at all. I was around excellence and it was just amazing. And so with that in mind, there was nothing that I couldn't do. It was just um, uh, an environment that just drove me to try to do whatever it was I wanted to do. And it was great. And um, I was able to think about things. I wanted to be in the fashion business when I was in Detroit. Uh, I was on the Detroit, um, the JL Hudson fashion team board. And so I wanted to do fashion. I got a job in Georgetown selling hot pants, you know, because that was the rage back then. And, um, and I was able to get a, another part-time job with the Polaroid company because the Polaroid manager was in Joe's of the place and I helped his wife, you know, with some clothes. He saw my selling skills and he said, you know, we're going to launch a new product and it's called the SX-70. That was the Polaroid camera where you shot the camera and the picture developed in your hand. It was a huge deal. So imagine this. I'm 19 years old, and I'm taking the team of the Polaroid um, reps. I had to travel the United States, the southeastern United States, with a team and train Polaroid reps on how to use and sell this camera. And then I went to the national rollout for this product at the Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami. This is the first time I'm seeing how a national product is introduced to the world. This had a, the SX-70 letters carved in ice with you know lights going through it. I met Dr. Edwin Land, the creator of Polaroid. It was a huge deal. I'm 19 years old. So I'm seeing all of this happen and I'm saying, what do I want to do with my life? Now, originally I wanted to be in fashion, so I still pursued that. But in order to do that, the uh, dean of the business school saw in me my ambitions. And he said, Amy, you need to go to business school. You can always do fashion, but you need to go to business school. And so I said, okay, I'll think about that. And one of my friends, and this is in, in, in my book, Pivot for Success. He said, Amy, always aim for the top. Go for the top. And then if they don't take you, go for the next tier. And so all of my friends were going into law school because I was in campus and the campus uh, politics at the liberal arts student council with Congressman Elijah Cummings of all people. So I saw him as a student. And so they were all going to law school but I went to business school. But what I did was I applied to the top 10 business schools in the country and Harvard was number one. And I said, well, let me just shoot for the top. I applied to Harvard, Wharton, Columbia, Stanford, all of the top 10 business schools. So when I was uh, getting my letters back, I got a letter back from Harvard. And I was so excited because all of the, you know, most of the top 10, they said, no, you don't have enough um, math. You don't have enough of the big uh, numbers to get in. But Harvard, I was so excited. I didn't know what they were going to say. So I called my parents. And I said, I've got this letter from Harvard. I want you to hear what they're going to say with me. So I opened the letter and I read it to my parents. And it said, Dear Amy, you have been accepted to the Harvard Business School, the class of 1978. And I'm like, what? This is 1970. I graduated in 74, so I thought I was going to be going to the class of 76. What they gave me was a deferred admit. I was beyond upset because I was ready to go in the fall and they wanted me to work for two years and take 
uh, class in um, uh, advanced mathematics or advanced calculus. That's what it was. But I was wanting to go. My parents had to calm me down and say, just think about it. You still have been accepted to Harvard. In retrospect, that was the best thing that I could have done. But I didn't have a job. So I had to turn and pivot to get a job. So with the thought of going for the best, I said, where do I want to get a job? I had to look at the retailers who were coming to campus and Bloomingdale's was coming to the Howard campus to recruit. Still, Jack came for just increased its sales by over 136%. My name is Travis Flaherty. We have seen over 55% increase in sales. Hey, Jeremy Nowling here. We finished our month off at not even a 20% increase, but a 30% increase. Hey guys, Jean-Paul Guidry here. Now I've experienced massive increases of 156%, collectively 125%. My name is Kevin Strohsnyder. We went an increase of 50%. 50%, we went from 50 units to 75 units. We had a 39% growth in volume. This stuff works! I'm Glenn Lundy, creator of the 800% Club. The results that we've been getting out of the 800% Club are ridiculous. Everything that you just heard all happened in the first 90 days. So I wanna open this up, helping more dealers across the country. We're now enrolling for 800% Club members. So look, the time is now. It's time for you to protect your legacy. Head on over to 800EliteAutomotiveClub.com to learn more. Going for the top, Bloomingdale's was the number one department store in the country. My God, the Queen of England had visited Bloomingdale's. The Beatles had visited Bloomingdale's. So I wanted an interview with Bloomingdale's and I got it. I also got an interview and a job with JL Hudson's and an interview and a job with, with a store in St. Louis and one in California, but Bloomingdale's was the one I wanted. So I got the interview on campus and they brought me to New York. So I'm in New York and they said, we want to hire you and we want you to start in the men's sock department or tie department. And I'm sitting in the HR office saying to myself, I don't look like the sock department girl, especially in men's. What am I going to do? And I started on a path of what I call asking for an exploratory interview. I took a deep breath and I said to myself, I am sitting here at Bloomingdale's. Now I can sit here and accept what they offer me or I can ask for what I want. And I asked the HR manager, I said, you know, since I'm here, would it be possible to just have an exploratory interview with the buyer for the designer dress department? I'd love to meet her. I'm so excited to be here. Could I just meet her? And the HR manager said, well, I don't see why not. And she called upstairs to meet to Miss Elaine Monroe, who was a, the buyer for the designer dress department. And she said, Miss Monroe will meet you. So go on upstairs. I went upstairs to the designer dress department of Bloomingdale's. And let me tell you, it was the most beautiful department I had ever seen. Mirrors everywhere. And I'm talking about Valentino, Bill Blass, Oscar de la Renta, Givenchy, the top of the top again. Miss Monroe and I sat down. She always made me call her Miss Monroe. And we got along great. She just happened to need a new assistant. She called down to HR and she said, look, I don't care what policy says. I want Amy to be my new assistant. Make it happen. Click. So that's how I became the assistant to Elaine Monroe at the designer dress department at Bloomingdale's. So wow. this is a long story and I know we have other questions, but to get to Harvard Business School, this is the path, you asked that question. So I'm working at Bloomingdale's and a lot of this is in the book, but to get to Bloomingdale's and work in that area, the story of how that happened, that also gave me a story of how I met Mrs. Eunice Johnson, the creator of Fashion Fair 
Cosmetics and the fashion fair traveling fashion show because I'm sitting in the front row of Halston's show. How I got to sit in the front row is because I got to the fashion show. My buyer was late. She said, go get our seats. I get to the fashion, to the front door of Halston's fashion show. And I said, I'm here for the Halston show. They took one look at me and they said, oh, deliveries are in the back. I said, no, I'm not delivering anything. I'm Miss Monroe's assistant and I believe our seats are in the front. They said, oh, they sure are. So I'm sitting in the front and Miss Mrs. Johnson comes over to me. There are only a couple of blacks in the room. And she said, young lady, I don't know who you are. And you're sitting in the front row. And I said, oh, Mrs. Johnson, I know who you are. And she said, yes, and you are going to watch history today. Every black model will be wearing Fashion Fair Cosmetics for the very first time. 40 years later, I become president of Fashion Fair Cosmetics. These are the things that happen when you let the universe work for you. So that delay of working for two years put things into place that never would have happened. So two years later, I get to Harvard Business School. That's how I got there. Wow. Amy, I got to tell you, what I love about your journey is that, like, you just, you take the shot, you know, you just take the shot. And, you know, they say you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Um, well, you're just constantly shooting. You're just constantly asking uh, for what you truly want out of life. And you're getting it. I mean, I love that. I also want to comment on something else uh, that you said earlier on about when you were uh, really young and you made perfume, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You had me behind the scenes just smiling um, because I remember when I was really young, you said you were selling perfume. I was selling uh, Rice Krispie treats. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I was selling Rice Krispie treats. And I'm curious as, as far as all of the other folks on the stage, like, can I get a mic flash? If you were young, if you had like a lemonade stand or maybe you were selling Rice Krispie treats or make it like, you know, you were hustling something. I see Annette. Who else on stage was like, I see Lewis and Paulette. Yep. I knew it. I just knew there's like that commonality of all these little young entrepreneurs. We were out there hustling. So you had me smiling, Amy. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have your hustle, man. It's, 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 you know, having that hustle mentality is something that, you know, you can have when you're young and you can get it while you're old. It's not, there's no age limit on the hustle. Amen. <laughs> on that. I did the sherbet you know, upside down ones that froze, so I get it. <laughs> yes, I, I um, noticed that too when Travis said that uh, we were listening to you smile, and I'm just so proud of you. I mean, you've got two H's in your life the HU in DC and Harvard University. That's amazing. So while I have your sister on the stage, because I, I know she's busy and the fact that she's celebrating her 25th anniversary and she stopped in just to say hi quick if she's able, how does it feel for the two of you to be the only two African-American biological sisters who have graduated from Harvard? Either one of well, you. There you go. Well, I know Gloria is um, in a is not able to join us. I don't think she's on the line, but um, she's there, right next to you. You she surprised you. She's on the stage. <laughs> hey, hey, Gloria! I, I had snuck on here for a second. I came up and got my jacket. The meditation class was canceled. My sister's on Clubhouse. What, Amy? Oh, Amy, let me tell you something. You started talking about your life. Those are things I forgot. I forgot that you had done. I forgot who you'd be. I forgot some of those intricate pieces. I'm so glad that you shared them. I'm so glad that you shared them. I just want to say this really quickly, you guys. Seriously, there's some people in your life that are major role models. And my sister has been a major, major role model for me in so many components of my decisions. But my master decision to go to Harvard, to go to Howard University and HBCU, and then to turn around and go to Harvard was because she was bold enough to not only do it, but to show me how to do it. And I remember going to my very first class at Harvard and I cried. I was like, this is impossible. This 
the first class. You remember that? I call, like, this is impossible. And she just said, you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. You're going to be fine. You're going to be all right. And it made such a difference. Amy, I'm so excited for your new book. You guys, this book is major because so many people are in a pivot. So I appreciate this. And Ro and Trevor, I think this is an exciting time for the breakfast of champions. Woo! Yes. Yes. History. This is history. Both of you guys on at one time. I'm just so <laughs> never thought that would ever happen in a million years. So I am beside myself right now. So thank you. And uh, Miss Amy, how does it feel? Like literally? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, when we found out that we were the only two sis African-American sisters to have ever graduated from the Harvard Business School in its entire history, an entire history, the entire history. We were floored because we didn't know. They had done a study of all the women who had graduated from the Harvard Business School. They were doing a, you know, a celebration of that. And we got this call and we could not believe it. We were just floored because we didn't think about that. We were just like, we're both going to Harvard. And we both got through Harvard because it's, it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. And so we just think that it is great that we did it and we wanted to be able to show other people that you could do it. And so this is something that we want to continue to tell people it's doable. And so we just think that, um, that other people can do it too. And that's our purpose. We stand up, both of us as speakers, tell that story to so other women, other black women can see us on this stage in these rooms and say, you know what, we can do it too. Amen. Thank you so much. And so many mm -hmm. look up to you, not only at the HBCUs, but every person on this stage can do what you guys have done. And I, I mean, there's so many questions. I know other people have them, but there's three that just really stand out to me. Um, and, and this one I think is very important before we go on to your endorsement by um, former First Lady Michelle Obama. But you have been in the corporate arena. You are now in the entrepreneurship arena. I mean, you're, you've just done so much in your life. In the years that you've spent on all platforms, I know that you've had some failures as well. How have you risen above to try on well, you know, it's really something that I want people to understand and know, because you look at my background and you hear my background and you say, wow, you know, she's got it all together. Yes, I've done uh, some very important things, but I'm a Harvard MBA. I'm a uh, successful corporate executive and I'm a serial entrepreneur, but I've also been laid off, foreclosed on, bankrupted, and I've been divorced twice but I'm still standing because I learned how to pivot. I learned how to pivot because if you do not take the lessons that you learn both from success and from failure, and failure is nothing but a step toward your next move. And if you don't learn from that, you will stay stuck because life is always gonna change. And if you stay stuck in the, in, the, in, the, in the mind space of, oh, this didn't work, you will be there for a long time. And you can't, you can't just stay stuck there. I've, you know, and I have learned from these things that life is going to move on whether you do or not. And you know, there were times when I had tremendous failures. For example, um, the, ba the bakery in the comfort cake company that I had, you know, I had a, um, when we were going after the biggest, um, we had a big order from United Airlines and the bakery that was making my orders, this is after 9-11, we're hearing a lot of stories about 9-11 now. Well, the bakery that was doing our orders had a lot of airline business. And all of a sudden, I couldn't get the owner of the bakery on the phone. I'm like, what's going on? Well they had to close the business because they had too much airline business and they didn't know how to tell me. And so finally I got him on the phone and he said, Amy, I can't, I'm so embarrassed. I don't know what to tell you. 
but the bank is coming to seize our assets and they're coming on Tuesday. He told me on a Monday. And I had to bring my small staff together and tell them that the bakery was going to close. And I also told them, this is a small business. They had our pans, they had all of our equipment, and they had our recipes, everything. That could have put us out of business. And I called them at the table. I said, guess what? We have five minutes for a pity party. Five minutes. And the next thing we have to do is figure out how to get our stuff before the bank. Now, I could have sat there and just wallowed in that and let my business go under. But I said, we can feel bad, but only for five minutes because then we have to make our move. So it's about saying life can throw you a bunch of stuff. But if you don't have bounce back ability, you will sit in that mud. And I wasn't going to sit in that mud. My life savings were in it. I had two kids to put through college. And I'm like, no, we're going to make this move. And what we were able to do was we had a plan. Next thing we know, we had a U-Haul. And we had to get there before the bank. And we did. And we got our stuff. So these are things that I try to encourage people to do is that, yes, you're going to have um, triumphs and you're going to have challenges, but how you choose to make your mind deal with them is up to you. It is up to you. And your mind is an incredible muscle that you can train to deal with it one way or another. Amy, I love what you were talking about, how you said you only got five minutes for the pity party. Five minutes. And I love that because I tell people uh, 24 hours, <laughs> uh, but you're like, no, forget 24 hours. You got five minutes. Let's go. Uh, you can cry, scream, yell, but then we need to get up and move forward. And I love the way you told that story, too, because I can literally picture you guys getting your U-Haul and running over there and getting all your getting all your pans and all this stuff like you tell a good story. I, you got me over here visualizing the whole thing. Um, talk to us about your book. I love it. I love it. Pivot, uh, pivot to success or, or what's the name of the book? It's called Pivot for Success. For Success. Your, pivot for yes. Success. Pivot for Success. Hone your vision, shift your energy, and make your move. And I call it that because there's, you know, a lot of people are talking about pivot now in the pandemic. And you've got to make the pivot, but a lot of people say that that's still hard to do. And I say just before you pivot, a lot of people say, well, I can pivot. I can make the, I can turn around. But I ask people to, to stop for a minute and think about why you're pivoting. What is your vision for pivoting? So when you hone your vision, your, what is your vision about the decision that you want to make? Because without a vision, people will perish. I'm a woman of faith, tremendous faith. So you have to have a vision for what you want out of your life. Take the time to have a vision and it's okay to sit there in this time and you say, okay, life is like in an upheaval with this pandemic, but the pandemic has shown us that, you know, life is going to change dramatically and it's going to, you know, it, it, you don't know if you're going to be here or not. So you need to really think about what you're going to do with your life. So what is your vision about the decisions that you need to make? Number two, shift your energy. Because to meet the decision, your energy has to shift. You just talked about it, Trevor, 24 hours in the day. So you have 24 hours. Beyonce has 24 hours. So does anybody in this world who's going to do anything major. And so you have to shift your energy toward the decision because if you do not, your energy is going to dissipate and go in the wrong direction. So then once you have shifted your energy toward the decision, then and only then can you make your move toward the decision. That is a strategic process for pivoting that I have developed so that people cannot get overwhelmed by the thought of pivoting. So think about those three steps in the strategic process. And then I have the 10 pivot points that Michelle Obama endorsed in my first book, Tap Into Your Juice, which was Find Your Gifts, Lose Your Fears and Build Your Dreams, which is now an ebook, but 
That's what she endorsed and told me I could keep that endorsement for life. Because these 10 point pivot points I have used for over 25 years myself. And I use them every day because, you know, sometimes even the teacher will appear to herself when she needs them. And there are 10 pivot points that they're all in the book that give you a structure. So again, you won't be overwhelmed when it's time to make a pivot. These are points that give you structure to say, okay, I got to do pivot point number one or number four, because this is applicable to the issue at hand. And I found, and I've been pleased, I've been humbled. I am really just um, gratified that so many people have found that they work for them too. Because I've been talking about these pivot points for 25 years. And when I would talk about them in my speeches, people said, well, you need to write a longer book so you can have all the stories that you tell us about on stage in the book. And that's what Pivot for Success is. Wow, what an honor to have an endorsement for life by former First Lady Michelle Obama, by any former First Lady. So to have that and you be so humble as you are, you, your entire family, your sister, are the most humble people that I have ever met. And I'm just blessed to know you. How can someone take these 10 power P's that you have, as well as the three pivot points of success you mentioned, and successfully implement them professionally and personally with balance? That's a very good question, Dr. Rome, because, you know, when I wrote the book, um, and the first one, and it felt, you know, very personal. And I think that in order to pivot successfully, you have to first look at yourself. Self-awareness is key. And when you look at, um, I'll give you a couple samples of the pivot points. Pivot point number one is finding your purpose. What gift is uniquely yours, like a fingerprint that you can share to help others? Well, finding your purpose personally is non-negotiable. You got to know what you are doing personally as a purpose that fuels your energy, that makes you get up in the morning, that makes you feel like your life has meaning. Now, when you're talking about professionally, you need a purpose there too, because if you're, what you're doing with your work life doesn't have purpose, you won't be bringing your whole self to the task. You will be leaving part of yourself at home. And I know that everybody can't have a job that is going to be, you know, your all consuming purpose. I didn't always have that in all of my jobs, but I would find something within the job that would give me purpose. And I got to tell you, if you look at your job and what you're doing, there are things that you can find within the job that can give you purpose. Here's an example. Um, when I was working at Pillsbury, I, I did love my job, many aspects of it. But what gave me purpose a lot was uh, working with underprivileged kids. And this was when I was in Minneapolis. As you live there, Dr. Rowe, there was a program called Kapow, Kids and the Power of Work. I would work with kids from... Um, the areas in Minneapolis who never had seen a black person work in corporate America. And I would bring my, my, my um, projects to their, to them. And I would bring them sometimes to Pillsbury to the corporate world. And I would show them how we would make products. And I would show them what it means to look at the Pillsbury Doughboy. and their eyes would get so wide and they would think about, wow, I didn't even know we could do things like that. That would give me purpose. So you can find your purpose personally, which mine is to inspire other women and other men to do what motivates you to, to do what you can do to help others. But per professionally, it was finding that purpose within my job that allowed me to do that. Looking at um, uh, another pivot, which is number six, which is hard for me, was having patience. Having patience, putting one foot in front of the other is the only way to create a path. Expecting instant gratification can lead to missteps. Are you willing to be patient and consistent in your efforts? Now think about that. When I didn't get into Harvard Business School right away, I had to employ pivot number six. I had to have extreme patience. 
And it worked out for me because if I had not had that um, and wanted that, that instant gratification, I could have gone to uh, a different business school that would have had missteps in my life, but I had to have patience. Patience can be very powerful. And when you're in a corporate or a professional situation, you will have teams maybe that you are managing. And if you as a leader can impress upon your teams how important it is to have patience when you are facing a challenge, so you can tell them, let's settle down, let's look at this problem, and let's have patience to find the right path. So I hope that you can start to see that as you have all of these 10 points, think about them personally for you so that you can be centered as a person and then look at how you can take this, these pivot points and go to your professional side and see how they can apply there. They are both very applicable personally and professionally to anything that you have to do. And they are universal. They can work in any situation over any point in time. And that's why I think people go to them and they, they feel that they work. And so many people have endorsed them because they work that way. And I'm going to be teaching them now at the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business, the number three school of business in the country, because I went to them. They wanted me to teach a marketing course. And I said, you know, you've got a pretty heavy bench of professors that teach marketing, but I have never seen a business school teach about pivoting. And I have written a book about it. And I think that business school <clears throat> students need to learn how to pivot both personally and professionally. And I wrote them a proposal and they loved it. And I'll be teaching that course starting next month. I am so proud of you. That is amazing. I mean, people are going to learn so much as we are getting a life lesson here today and making history in so many ways. So I have one last question for you, and then Trevor's going to ask a question, and we'll open it up <laughs> to the audience. Um, one of my favorite chapters in your book, Pivot for Success, and I know there's uh, another um, tagline underneath, but if people are looking for it on Amazon or any other avenue, they can just put pivot for success and they'll see your photo and and get this beautiful bright yellow book um one of my favorite chapters is in is number five you're talking about getting prepared you talk about having a prepared mindset and that contributes to you aligning yourself with the big boys so many of us have been through that aspect can you elaborate a little bit more on that sure because <clears throat> it's often that People want success before they're willing to do the work. I often have people come up to me and say, you know, I've got the best brownie in the world and you have brought your comfort cakes to United Airlines. You've brought them to Walmart. You've brought them to Home Shopping Network. So Amy, and this is sometimes I will be, you know, um, at, a, at a speech and this will be in the audience and somebody will say, tell, you know, as I'm signing a book or something, they'll say, tell me how I can get my brownie onto the store, you know, shelves of Walmart in a conversation. And I will say, you know, well, have you written a business plan? No, but I just want you to tell me how to do it. And I will tell them quite directly in a nice way. Well, the first thing you have to do is a business plan. You can go online and get a template and you can write, and it doesn't mean a 300 page document, but you do have to have the discipline to at least do a framework of a business plan. Because if you want to compete with the big boys at Walmart, they're gonna expect you to know how to approach your business. And you cannot do that in a conversation here at this table. And I will be happy to work with you, but you, I must ask you to employ the discipline on yourself to take the time to do the framework of how you expect your brownie to be successful. Because you can't work with the big boys unless you plan like the big boys in some way, shape, or form. And that's what I mean, because I love the name DreamWorks, that you must work to live your dream. And it requires work. And so I really do expect people to put the work in. I mean, when I look at my business um, and I look at the number of times and count the spreadsheets that I have done. My son and daughter worked in the business for me 
and my son is more of the finance guy and he counted the number of spreadsheets, the number of presentations that I have done trying to either get investors or trying to get customers, hundreds of spreadsheets, hundreds. He said, mom, you have a lot of spreadsheets to do this. Yes, son, I do. Yes, son, I do. And that's what it takes. And if you're not willing to do that, you're not willing to get prepared. And that's what I mean by that. You have to have that mindset because it's just not going to have, nothing's going to be handed to you. And that's what it takes. And I just want people to understand it. And these are some of the things that I talk about. And this is one of the other reasons that I, I've written a book because I want people who are thinking about entrepreneurship, thinking about success, that this is what it takes. And it, there's nothing wrong with hard work, but you've got to have that mindset that it's not going to be handed to you and embrace it. You know, there's another um, uh, article that I saw out by um, um, another person. Sometimes a lot of work sucks, you know, and this, this author said, you know, embrace the suck. It sucks. Embrace that. That's Amy, I, I love how you just said that. Um, so I, I get to work with job seekers who are in between uh, their next best success, right? They're, uh, they're mm -hmm. in transition. And uh, I always talk to them about it, too. I'm like, you know, there's no part of the job search that is comfortable. So you might as well get uncomfortable. Like, let's just dive in. Let's, you know, it sucks, right? right? So just like mm -hmm. you said, like, like, let's just embrace the suck. I guess this is the way you put it. But <laughs> like, let's just dive in and do the work that's necessary to pivot, right? And mm -hmm. um, I think that your book could definitely help that audience because there are 8.5 million people right now in America unemployed. They're going mm -hmm. through this pivot, right? And mm -hmm. It's just crazy what's going on out there right now. So you, you're definitely needed um, in your steps and, and everything that you're talking about. It's gold. So I really, really do appreciate you. Uh, I do have one uh, final question here before we get to some Q&A from the audience. Uh, what is the greatest lesson that you've learned being on Cheryl Sandberg's board of advisors? Wow. That has been a tremendous um lesson for me. Um, and one of the things is that Cheryl is very unapologetic about being authentic and being uh, and, and leaning into your power. And I got on her board of um, advisors because she came to Howard University um, to start her lean in circles for colleges. And I was on the board of trustees at Howard. And so I was asked to help her um, gather all the sororities at Howard for a pizza party. And so I um, gathered them all in a room for a pizza party. And, you know, I was talking to all the sorors and, and, and gathering women and I was just arranging things. And, you know, she saw how I was operating in the room and she said, you know, Amy, has anyone ever told you that when you were growing up that, that you were bossy? And I said, well, yeah, they did, you know? And she said, good. I want you on my board. And I said, okay. She said, because being bossy is not a bad thing. And she had a, a, a theme going on at the time called ban bossy. Like, you know, the red circle with the slice through it, ban bossy. Because a lot of girls are told that being bossy at a young age is a bad thing. And so I have learned how to be sure that your voice, if it is one that is direct, that it is not a bad thing, but I've also learned how you have to be sure that your voice is heard, that others hear your voice, and that it, you maintain your authenticity with transparency. Cheryl is a very transparent person, and she has learned a lot from the first time that she wrote the book when she got a lot of flack about it not being authentic enough for a lot of women of color, because women of color have been leaning in for a long time. And so as a woman of color on her board, I've been able to help her with making sure that women of color and entrepreneurs hear her authenticity because she's done a lot to make sure a lot has changed in corporate America. And so she is open and willing to be challenged and she's open and willing to maintain her directness. And, and this is a lesson that I've learned from her. She went through a horrible situation when her husband died uh, suddenly. 
And then she's taken that grief and tragedy and changed it into option B, which is, you know, you have options even in the worst of times. So I've learned a lot from her how to take, you know, things that are just the worst of times, change them into better times for yourself and for others. And so it's a tremendous opportunity. And I love what she's doing for women all over the world. And I'm, I'm just very gratified to be a part of it and to uh, learn from her and thrilled that she um, agreed to endorse my book without hesitation. Wow, that is so amazing. And we might have to call on you for a beautiful favor. You know we never ask. But the creator of this club, Glenn Lundy, is up on the top, on the left. Everyone that uh, has joined the room, you can see uh, who he is. He made just a, a small mistake and got blocked from Facebook for 29 days. So maybe you can call Cheryl and let her know he's a good guy. <laughs> well, what's wrong, what's wrong with Facebook? Purpose? I know. What's, like, what's wrong with Facebook blocking women like that? That, yeah, that, that wrong for that. Episodes on our show, so you can vouch for him. <laughs> yes. Um, so we are gonna go to the audience and ask questions, and I'm gonna give first Glenn the opportunity. I believe that he is here, but if he isn't, he could be on a run. And if he isn't, uh, Bernita. Um, flashed first and then we will have people flash that are here and trevor will identify you but first, let me see if glenn is there glenn are you out on a run or are you there okay i think he's on a run he'll get back there we'll let bernita go first and anybody else who would like to ask a question i know we're not going to be able to get to every person if you can flash trevor will identify you and i uh, will uh, get to you uh, very soon here i see you joy too Go ahead, uh, Vernita. No, thank you so much, Dr. Rowe. This is absolutely, this is history. So much, uh, Gloria had a chance to be on several times, but I'm like, hey, really here. Um, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Adele of Touchman Parts of the Fashion Industry at London Fashion. Hey, Bernita, you're in the matrix a little bit. Can you um, like go to another spot so we can see if we can hear you better? Is it better, Rose? Yes, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, let me know if you're not able to hear me. I think there's, a, I also think I hear a hot mic on the stage as well. Um, but I'll just briefly say that uh, I've, I've touched many parts of fashion and I love the story about uh, being on the front row at Halston, what, what history and power. Uh, I've had a chance to work many years with uh, Audrey Smoltz here in New York. And uh, the question that I wanted to ask you is, you know, what are your feelings and thoughts about how important is it for us to continue to build spaces to elevate black designers and designers of color, brands, uh, uh, cosmetic lines, beauty brands uh, of color, black brands, and, you know, whether that is in the corporate spaces, like, I you know, uh, Bloomingdale's has taken on a number of initiatives. I know Nicole Copley very well, uh, or independent spaces like Harlem Fashion Row, which I know Brandis Henderson will be doing her uh, showcase tonight as we kick off New York Fashion Week. So uh, more of these spaces, and, and what are your thoughts? <laughs> Thank you so much. I think it's very important because the diversity of fashion and cosmetics is still needed. I mean, we saw what happened when Rihanna came out with her um, numerous shades of color, and that was very recent in the cosmetic arena. Um, and it exploded in terms of the diversity that was still needed in terms of shades. And then the big brands came out with the diversity of shades. And, and so it's still very needed across the board, both corporately and um, in the emerging brand space, because you can see the difference in what's happening corporately. And then you look online and see what's happening with smaller brands, Minted and other brands that are doing very, very well. And in fact, um, Fashion Fair is coming back into the marketplace. It's down in Sephora. Um, two of the, my colleagues from Fashion Fair bought Fashion Fair and bought Black Opal, and they're bringing it back into the marketplace. And on the fashion side, absolutely, because many of the fashions that when I was in the business, um, many of the big designers would often go into Harlem to see what 
fashions were being worn on the streets and translate that into looks that would go on the 7th Avenue runways. So Black people have always been a leader in the fashion industry. So yes, there is a space for creativity globally for Black fashion to have a role. And I think that it's important that it's being recognized for what it is. So absolutely, um, there's room for everyone. And I think it should continue. Thank you so much. Fantastic. We have Joy Naxon and Trevor, if you can tell me who the others are. Go ahead, Joy. Hey, Amy, it's Joy. A couple of rows above you, but I just wanted to reiterate, my mom has been a lifelong fashion fair lover. So when you said fashion fair is coming back, I can remember growing up and she would pinch pennies to get that red lipstick from fashion fair. So I just think that there's so much room for inclusivity, especially in cosmetics. And I've just loved your story, Harvard. Um, it's been awesome that you always go for the top, but I think that's something that we can all strive to, um, emulate, don't settle for the low hanging fruit, but always reach for the stars. So I've loved your story. And from one short haired sister to another, I absolutely love this past hour. So keep shining. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Next up, we've got L. Michelle. Good morning, L. Michelle. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Breakfast with Champions. Hello, beautiful, beautiful Amy Hillier. I just wanted to say a few words to you. I, I, I'm just ecstatic right now that I'm almost speechless, which is rare, everybody, right? Um, you have inspired me beyond words, and I would just like love to have a conversation with you one day and they'll tell you why, because I won't announce it to the full stage, but your example, your words, your experience that you've shared, your book, everything that you've talked about today has blessed me beyond words. I just wanted to share that with you, and I look forward to the opportunity to speak with you and share with you why and how. I know that you'll love it as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Thank you, Dr. Rowe and Trevor. You do the best interviews ever. Thank you so much. All glory to God and the people you know, right? It's so amazing. And I'm so thankful for Trevor, um, who's always by my side on Tuesdays at uh, 8 Eastern time. I have to make sure because I advertise this for 8. Uh, <laughs> I advertise this for the wrong hour, but it's okay because the next person up is just amazing and wonderful. So I think we have a, a time for just one more question. And before we do that, I want to make sure everyone knows, if you have not already, please click on Amy Hilliard's face. She is the beautiful, amazing um, guru, entrepreneur, Howard University, Harvard University, Sheryl Sandberg sitting board member, <laughs> everything. I can't even say all of her accolades, but um, definitely follow her. Go to her profile. You can click on there and follow her on Instagram, on Twitter. Get her book, Pivot for Success. There's a couple with that name, but hers is the only yellow one. You'll see it. It's not just on Amazon. It's in other avenues that you can find it for books. Make sure you go to her actual website, Amy S., with like Sam, Hilliard.com. You'll see everything about her. Her amazing sister is to the left of her, Gloria Mayfield Banks. Both are powerhouses. The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, and we are just amazed by them. So we have one uh, room for one more question, and then uh, Trevor's going to transition us over to the next amazing speaker. Uh, who was that, Trevor, the next person? Yes, I, I saw Paulette. She's been flashing and just flashing and flashing that mic. So, Paulette, good morning. Uh, come on in. Good morning, champions. Yes, I was flashing away because I'm so excited. I've been loving this conversation. Um, Amy, thank you so much for being here. And Gloria, it's amazing to see you right by her side. My question is in terms of that sisterhood, that very thing, right? So can you talk about and tell us how the power of sisterhood and building your tribe has helped you be successful? I heard you and your sister speak so highly of each other, and I want to know um, how that's helped you and then also what you can speak to in terms of how we can build our tribe so that we can be successful in the corporate world and otherwise. Thank you so much, ladies. This is Paulette Mendez. Thank you, Paulette, and thank you, Elle, as well. Uh, sisterhood is critical. When you, not, you have to know who has your back. 
you have to know who has your back because there are times when and I'm human, you know, I'm not a superwoman. And there are times when, you know, I have my down moments and you have to know that you can pick up the phone and call someone who will be there and who will help you lift you up. You've got to have people who will lift you up. And I talk about that in, in um, the pivot point number seven, seeking positivity. Everybody cannot have a front row seat in your life. And Susan Taylor, who is the editor-in-chief emerita for Essence Magazine, is a close sister friend of mine. And so she told me that about everyone can have a front row seat in your life, and I have lived with that. So I think that you can pe keep people around you in your tribe, be they a blood sister or just a sister sister friend. And those don't have to be, your tribe doesn't have to be huge, but you have to know who your tribe is, that you can call and they can call you to lift you up, to praise you, to tell you the truth, because you need truth tellers. When you think you look fabulous and they say, girl, I'm not so sure, you know, and you need to know that those people will be there for you. And that's what I would share. It's so important. Choose wisely. Well, guys, this has been an amazing, amazing segment. Amy, oh my goodness, Gloria, thank you so, so, so much for coming to Breakfast with Champions. If I can get everybody to do me a big old favor and just unmute your mic real quick and give me a yay, yay for yeah, Amy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Gloria. Thank you, Amy. Hey, and if you didn't get your questions okay. answered, okay, we understand. I saw there were so many more mics flashing down there. If you didn't get your questions answered, make sure you uh, go ahead and follow Amy and Gloria and maybe like blow them up, hit them up in the DMs, you know, send them a question or whatever. Let them know how much you appreciate them being here in Breakfast with Champions. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.